I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, June 1st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, an update from the Mississippi State Medical Association. Then, for COVID long haulers, the physical and mental effects of the coronavirus are here to stay. Plus, Mississippi's Insurance Commissioner evaluates the state's preparedness for hurricane season. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Members of the Mississippi State Medical Association met Friday to discuss the state's COVID-19 response. Dr. Paul Byers of the Department of Health says he's keeping an eye on so-called COVID variants of interest. Of particular note are a handful of South African variant cases detected among nursing home residents and staff. The significance is, and, and certainly we've got investigation ongoing, is to, to try to identify how these uh, infections came to be in this facility, because this has otherwise been not a variant that we've identified a lot of. We've only identified a couple of three other cases that that weren't related with these two outbreaks previously. And and by and large, we were able to to link those cases with either travel or or contact to travel. And so um, this sort of raised the level a little bit and when we look at these outbreaks, this isn't a variant that we've seen a whole lot before, but a lot of times when we see things going on in a long-term care setting, that may be an indication of what's going on in the community. Um, so I think that that's important to remember. Without mentioning the Kentucky lawmaker by name, Byers also addressed Senator Rand Paul's use of a prior, prior COVID-19 infection as justification to not get vaccinated. Byers says the presence of antibodies doesn't ensure a person won't contract the virus. It's misguided and it's, and it's disturbing. And it's, a, it's especially disturbing to hear uh, somebody who's a, who's a physician um, sort of weigh into that, that sort of water that that if you've been previously infected, that a vaccine is unnecessary. And that's, that's really concerning. Uh, a couple of things, and, and you know, this is sort of, or sort of the things that I say as well is, is 
the infection can provide you with, with some immunity. Uh, we know from, from the information that we've had that um, the, the information demonstrates that uh, individuals who've been infected are unlikely to become reinfected within, within that 90-day timeframe. So that's good news. And, and, and certainly individuals can, can feel a little bit more comfortable waiting that 90 days uh, after an infection before they're vaccinated. But I certainly don't recommend it. Um, I recommend that they get vaccinated as soon as they recover from that acute illness. Because there's some things that we don't know at this point. We don't know how long that protection and that immunity is going to last after infection. And we don't know how complete that immunity or that um, protection will be. Byer says it's too early to predict if further interventions like booster shots will be required to suppress the COVID-19 virus in the future. But his colleague, Dr. Dan Edney, points out which population group will be most likely to receive a potential booster first. My understanding is that pharmaceutical industry is geared up to, to do what's necessary. And even things I'm reading is more than likely they'll have the, have the ability to target the variants better than the initial vaccine. So, you know, I see the booster as a, as a good thing. And if you think about it, those healthcare workers who are in the first wave, I mean, we're now six months into our vaccines or maybe even a little more. So, you know, we'll be that first group that will need boosting. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, that's all part of the monitoring system with the CDC is, you know, watching how we do as we move through the summer, then we should know better what, what the fall is going to dictate. But man, I, you know, too bad. It's, it's not everybody asking about being boosted. I'm glad people are asking about being boosted, but you know, with like Paul said, we're still trying to get folks their primary vaccination status done. Edney also discussed incentives or carrots and sticks that could come into play as Mississippi seeks to boost its flagging vaccination numbers. <laughs> I suspect we do that five billion dollar lottery like Ohio; they'll be lining up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I want to re- remind everybody, that, you know, a huge incentive, if, especially if you're, you know, working and you don't, you can't afford to to be sent home on quarantine, that if you are vaccinated and exposed, then you don't have to quarantine or be tested. I had to send a group of folks home yesterday from a healthcare setting because somebody got COVID that was not vaccinated and exposed, you know, a healthcare setting. If you're vaccinated, we don't worry about that. And the employers don't have to worry about that. So it's another good reason to incentivize employees to get vaccinated. Mississippi remains last among U.S. states in vaccination rate. As of Sunday, about 27 percent of Mississippi residents have been vaccinated. Coming up, the health consequences of COVID-19 aren't going away. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. That's what it felt like. That's the only thing I can relate it to is that I just had, I couldn't explain it. It was just a vague, uh, unplugged and fog. Uh, my brain was foggy. 
having to go through the a few things that I've had to go through in the last couple of months and watching the noticeable difference in my consciousness level tells me and my my providers tell me that yeah you qualify that's Susie Foote. She's a Mississippi woman with no pre-existing conditions who says she suffers from what's known as COVID long hauler syndrome, in which some coronavirus symptoms linger long after initial infection. Foote initially contracted the virus in November of 2020. I attended a family function at Thanksgiving, you know, against the rules, and about three-fourths of us got sick, and two of us got what they call the viral load, and uh, my cousin's husband in Atlanta got very sick, and I got very sick. So we had masks. We were out in the country. We were outside most of the time, but on Thanksgiving Day, we played charades in a huge room, but we were shouting and carrying on without masks at that time. She says she first grew concerned when she experienced flu-like symptoms on a flight back to Mississippi. Then she got even sicker. I was flat in the bed for nine days. On day 11, when I realized that I was really going down the tubes, I went back in to the doctor and he goes, oh, you have double pneumonia. In the months since, Foote experienced gastrointestinal issues, which she believes were lingering effects from an aggressive treatment regimen. But she also reports other problems, like fatigue. I had to send my kids out to go do all my Christmas shopping, which never happens. I can tell you that's, you know, that was highly unusual. And then I didn't drive a car for 30 days, which is highly unusual. And then I just was not really able to cook. We have a house full of folks pandemicking with us, and I wasn't able to get back in the kitchen. And afternoon naps were, you know, I would barely make it to noon, and I'd have to get back in bed and sleep for two hours after a good night's sleep. So that's very unusual. Steve Cloud is the interim director of the University of Southern Mississippi School of Speech and Hearing Sciences. He says speech pathologists have been working with long-haul COVID patients to help them regain mental and physical functionality. Speaking with our Desiree Frazier, Cloud offers a more formal term for the illness Susie Foote has experienced. It's technically called post-acute COVID syndrome, but it's also known as COVID long-hauler syndrome. And some of the problems that are associated with the coronavirus include uh, respiratory issues with people having difficulty breathing. Individuals have chronic fatigue. Some people experience vertigo, which is dizziness. And other people will experience confusion, uh, which is frequently called brain fog, which refers to difficulties with concentration and memory. And as speech-language pathologists, we're able to treat the conditions of vertigo and confusion and uh, also some of the swallowing difficulties that people experience following their out with the disease. How prevalent is this? Well, it's the 
approximately 9 to 10% of the people who have the coronavirus experience the long haulers syndrome. Um, but the people who have it, in some instances, are really severely debilitated as a result. And when you talk about what you can do as a speech pathologist, is this very extensive treatment um, and some type of therapy? Yeah, well, some people have experienced COVID-19-related hearing damage. It's relatively rare, but it can potentially result in hearing a person having extended periods of hearing loss, tinnitus, which is also sometimes pronounced tinnitus, which is a ringing in the ears. And some people also experience vertigo or dizziness that can develop days or even weeks after the COVID-19 symptoms actually emerge. Other people experience problems with their memory and with concentrating on things. And with those individuals, we can treat them uh, by helping them to to remember more efficiently and more effectively. So is it like therapy? Is it um, a medication treatment? How do you go about it? Well, it depends on the symptoms that the person is experiencing. We have audiologists in the part in the School of Speech and Hearing and Sciences who can determine possible causes for vertigo that individuals may have. People who have uh, concentration and memory difficulties, we can work on their cognitive or thinking skills in order to help them uh, to be able to remember things more efficiently. And people who have swallowing difficulties, we can attempt to determine where the swallowing difficulty is emerging, where, where it's occurring, and we can um, provide them with different types of techniques that they can use to swallow more efficiently, and we can also utilize uh, certain exercises and treatments that can be used. And what is it that you really want to point out and get across to folks who are listening that may know someone or themselves may be dealing with some of these symptoms? Well, I think the most important thing is that if you know that something's wrong with your body and you go to a physician and the person says that, you know, they can't identify that anything that's wrong, that you try and seek out someone who will be able to assist you with your difficulties. Uh, there's some indication that what's going on is that the immune system becomes hyperactive following COVID-19 and that it starts attacking some of the vital organs of the body, including the brain. And there have been instances where people have had blood clots that can lead to what are called transient ischemic attacks, or TIAs, which are most people refer to as mini-strokes. And in those types of situations, uh, individuals are going to have to seek professional medical care in order to find out what's going on and to see if there are treatments that are available. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge about um, this disorder and how to get people help. Well, thank you very much for contacting us and calling attention to this problem because it's something that a lot of people don't know about. 
as of now. Susie Foote hasn't visited a speech pathologist to help deal with long-haul COVID, but she does say she's starting to feel better and looks forward to spending more time with her family. Coming up, the first day of hurricane season is a good time to talk about insurance. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Today marks the start of hurricane season in Mississippi. It's a time of year that Mike Cheney spends a lot of time thinking about. Cheney is the state insurance commissioner. He knows the danger of severe weather events extends far beyond physical peril. A bad storm can bankrupt a family and even expose an entire region to fiscal uncertainty, as Hurricane Katrina did to the Gulf Coast in 2005. Cheney tells our Michael Guidry that Mississippians can make common sense, common good preparations before the summer's first hurricane makes landfall. Well, the first thing I would tell you to do is do a complete assessment of your home and your automobiles for insurance coverage. And if you do not have an agent, you need to find a good agent that you can rely upon. And if you're worried about pricing and uh, price is a big deal to you, uh, you can go online and shop online and compare rates. Or you can call and ask agents and different companies for their rate structure based upon your personal needs. So very quickly, if you're on the Gulf Coast, you need to be prepared for hurricanes, uh, and that includes reviewing your policy. If you're in a flood zone, uh, you need to have flood insurance. If you're in the state wind pool, we require flood insurance, If you, especially if you're in a flood zone, and that's usually an X zone or a V zone, visa velocity zone or an A zone. So uh, you're probably saying, what is he talking about in flood zones on the coast? Well, look, go on the website for... Uh, FEMA.gov, and look at flood insurance. NFIP is the National Flood Insurance Program. You can go and look there. In Mississippi, we have about 65,000 flood policies that are issued each year compared to Louisiana, which has over a half a million. So Mississippi doesn't have a lot of flood policies in force. A lot of them are private flood insurance, but they are in force, and they do cover homes that are in a potential flood zone. And that's all the way up to north Mississippi, over to the western part of the state to the southern part of the state, in all the zones of the state, we have flood issues. Is there anything the Mississippians need to be concerned about as far as premiums are concerned? Are, are there a rise in premiums based on you know, how much severe weather the state's been getting, uh, how active hurricane seasons have been, been lately, or are, are, are can Mississippians be insured that you know, premiums will stay at an affordable place once you know, someone opts in for insurance? Premiums, uh, insurance premiums in the state of Mississippi are fairly con- constant right now. There have not been any great increases at all in homeowners insurance, and we monitor that on a weekly basis. You do have some increases in your homeowner policy. If you listen to this and you say, well, I got an increase, it's probably due to the fact that you had an increase in the value of your home and uh, the increase in construction costs, and the companies will raise your premium. It won't be much. It'll be 
10, 15, 20, 30 dollars a year, or maybe 75 dollars a year in some cases, if your home value goes up. So that's usually the increase you will see. Now, as far as tornadoes, uh, that does not really drive insurance rates. What drives insurance rates are hailstorms and hurricanes and flood. Those are the things that drive your insurance rates and the age of a home on fire ratings and not having things like little simple things like a smoke alarm or fire alarm in your home. That affects your rates. Tornadoes are very narrow and they're very long in length. They're very narrow in their destruction, whereas hurricanes are huge. Uh, Hurricane Zeta in 2020 uh, had over 100,000 claims, but very little damage. Most of the damage from Zeta was uh, roof problems with shingles that had blown off. And on the Gulf Coast, most people had a 5% name storm deductible. If you had a $200,000 house or $100,000 house, that's a $5,000 deductible. And if you had actual cash value, which means what the roof is worth after depreciation, you didn't get very much money. But if you had replacement costs, you got a little little bit of money from the wind pools or the people that write your insurance. So we tell the consumer, know what your deductible is. And that means you need to talk to your agent. You've got to talk to your agent and trust the agents. You can go on the Internet and buy insurance, but you don't have anybody to call except some computer when you have a problem. We encourage you to go talk to an insurance agent. People who have policies and have their homes insured have that to fall back on. Um, we also know that oftentimes with severe weather, tornadoes, hail, hurricanes, uh, that the Mississippi Emergency, Emergency Management Agency, along with FEMA, will have disaster declarations for the areas affected. How do insurance policies or, and, and FEMA assistance, how, how does that situation work? Um, can, can someone qualify for, for disaster assistance while also filing a claim with their insurance company? We have had people that have applied for disaster assistance where they've had insurance and the insurance companies have paid a claim, but the claim, they may have been underinsured. FEMA, in some cases, uh, especially during Katrina, would cover those differences between your insurance coverage and your actual loss. And that might be because someone had chosen not to um, cover, say, a boat in the backyard or a shed in the backyard, and uh, the, they call them deattached uh, assets. And if they were not covered, uh, they probably could apply to FEMA. Now, there have been a lot of court cases cons uh, about coverage from the insurance company being denied and FEMA paying up, and then uh, some cases where insurance companies have paid and then FEMA did not pay any claims. People think that they, they are entitled to more money some, in some cases. But all in all, when we've looked at the claims process, we have found that FEMA is willing to come in during a disaster and pay for some coverage or losses that were not covered by insurance, but they only do that once or twice uh, per decade. And you have to have a declaration by the governor that you have a, natural, a national disaster. So... Uh, it's a, it becomes a very complicated issue as to whether or not FEMA will pay you. Uh, during Katrina, um, FEMA actually paid out billions of dollars, not millions, but billions of dollars for claims that had also been paid by insurance companies, and those became court cases that we had to settle. I inherited a lot of that. And we um, most of those cases were settled in court or by 
a federal judge uh, through uh, mediation. That's where you go in and you mediate your damage and you do, uh, basically you work out through arbitration what your case is worth and you get paid for it. So here's what we tell folks. Uh, if you do not have insurance, you cannot continue to uh, plan on the federal government bailing you out. Somewhere there's a limit as to how much the government can do to bail you out. If you bail in harm's way, you need, need to build a stronger house. If you're in a flood area prone to be flooded, you need to build higher and drier. It's real simple. Native Americans knew 30,000 years ago to stay out of flood plains and to build stronger homes. We learned most of this in some of our Sunday school classes. The wise man built his house on a rock and not on shifting sand, and you build a stronger home. If you remember the, the three little pigs, they huffed and puffed. They blew the straw house down, but the brick house they couldn't blow down. Build a stronger home. It's real simple. Stay out of the floodplain. Real simple. Commissioner Mike Cheney, as always, thank you so much for um, your insight and all of the very important and relevant information. Thank you, Gagey. I didn't mean to give you a Sunday school lesson this morning, but I did. It's quite all right, sir. We, we appreciate talking to you. Thank you, Michael. Take care. Yeah, you too. All right. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.